0: My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, delighted to be here as we work towards concluding our journey through the book of Romans. We've been in this study in Romans for, uh, for this year, and uh, we are three sermons away from the end. We are really getting close to the very end. And uh, as we get into chapter 15 today, you're going to discover a significant change in tone. The Apostle Paul has been all about theology and doctrine and and teaching in this book, ama- the amazing book of Romans. And now he switches over and he starts getting kind of warm and fuzzy. He, he's he's the softer side is coming out. Paul is getting very personal in this last chapter and a half. So, this week and the next two weeks, you're going to see that Paul is, is, is talking to specific individuals. He's encouraging the folks, and we're certainly going to, a, going to get a heavy dose of that today as we get into the scripture. So, I'm going to pray for us, and we will get started here. So, would you join me in prayer, please? Uh, Father, it's a joy to be here gathered together. I thank you for each one that is here today to worship. Thank you for our visitors. And thank you for those that have come who maybe were reluctant to come today. Uh, maybe, maybe they're hurting right now. Or maybe they're facing something that they just didn't even want to come out in public. But whatever the case, God, I thank you for each one that you have brought here today. And Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to see what you have for us. So I would just pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts today. That we would be receptive to what you have for us We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before we open the word, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. You've each got this bulletin insert with the announcements. Brent referred to the front side of it. I'm going to refer you to the back side. Uh, There's a questionnaire on the back side. There's three, it's like a little checklist, uh, three boxes that can be checked. This is only for you. You You don't turn it in or anything, so don't stress about that. But what I'd like you to do is take the next 20 seconds and answer each of those questions. If you can say, I am full of goodness check the first box. If you can say that I am filled with knowledge, check the second box. If you can check both of them, better still. And if you can say I am competent to instruct, check the third box. And so every one of us should check off either one, two, three, or none of those boxes. And I'm assuming that in the time it's taken me to explain that, you have filled out this checklist. I'm going to be referring back to this often during our time together this morning. There's a checklist. Hopefully you've filled out some of the boxes. The Apostle Paul starts in verse 14 of Romans chapter 15 by saying this to the Christians, the believers in the church in Rome. Paul says, I myself am convinced that you yourselves, brothers and sisters, are Full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So there it is. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Rome, and he's saying that he's convinced that they can check all three boxes. So the conclusion that we would come to is Paul knows these people really well, doesn't he? I mean, to have that intimate of a knowledge to be able to say that he is convinced. That they can check off all three boxes. They're indeed full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct. But if you've been with us through this journey through Romans, you know that he doesn't have an intimate knowledge or relationship of these people. He doesn't know them. He's never been there. He says in the book here, I long to come to Rome. I plan to visit you. And we all know Paul planted a whole bunch of churches, right? He started churches all over what's today Turkey and Greece, but this wasn't one of them. He'd never been there. Somebody else started this church. And so Paul's writing this letter largely in the blind to a group of people he's never met before, yet he says he's convinced that they're full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. How does that work? How can Paul possibly say that? I'm sure he knew that some of these people in the church in Rome were brand new Christians. They, they had just come to faith in Christ quite recently. And probably others had been Christians for years and were more mature in their faith. Yet he's able to say the same thing about each and every one of them. So it leads me to ask the question, if the Apostle Paul was on the east coast of the U.S. and he heard about us here at Evergreen and wrote a letter to us saying, I'm going to come and visit you, would he say this about us? Would he say these same three things about us? And I'll stand with Paul. I will say I'm convinced that he would. That he would say the exact same three things about us. You see, Paul is seeing some things in us that we may not be seeing in ourselves. Now, I didn't ask for a show of hands, but just based on some of your reactions when I asked you to fill out the checklist, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of blanks out there. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of blanks. did, Did anybody fill out, did anybody check off one box on there? Come on, I see two, three hands. How about two boxes? Anybody two? Yeah, there's another one. Anybody check off all three boxes? Okay, so the majority of us are scratching our heads right now and saying, why can Paul say this about the church, about Christians that he's never met before? We can sort of blow off Paul's statement and say, well, he's talking about really spiritual people. You know, those people we have on the pedestal. I mean, this is, he's talking about the Mother Teresa types or the, the Billy Graham types or whoever you put up there on your spiritual pedestals. That's probably who Paul's talking about, Right. No, the truth of the matter is he's speaking to each and every Christian there in the church in Rome. And this is kind of fun for Paul because oftentimes when he writes a letter to a church, he's addressing difficult issues. And many of us are familiar with that, that sometimes Paul has to write in a letter and and tell them what's wrong with them. And in this case, he gets to tell the Christians there in Rome what's right with them. It's got to be a lot more fun for Paul than when he has to chew somebody out. But the fact that most of us didn't check off any of the boxes means we have a bit of a disconnect between what Paul is saying, what he believes about us, and what we believe about ourselves. So I think I've got two jobs today. The first is to try to help us to to resolve or reconcile that disconnect. Disconnect between what we believe about ourselves and what Paul is saying about us. And the second would be if I can be at all successful in helping bridge that gap to help us answer the question, so what does that mean to me? What, what do I do about that? Let's say I do agree with what Paul is saying. What does that mean in my life? And hopefully we can address both of those in our time together this morning. So let's start with this verse here and ask ourselves the question, how can be Paul be so adamant that he is so convinced that these three things describe these Christians in Rome and indeed us as well. Now we know for a fact that Paul is not talking about perfect Christians. He's not talking about a church made up of perfect people, so now it's a perfect church. Because he told us earlier on in the book of Romans that everybody has sinned and fallen short of what God has for us. And, And he talked specifically about that. So he's not saying, oh no, you guys are perfect. You're you're done doing wrong. And all you do is. No, he's not saying that at all. He's not talking about actions on the part of people. He's talking about something that is external. Because Paul knows that none of those people can make themselves good, none of those people can make themselves filled with knowledge. They can try. But it's not going to work. And he's already made that really clear in this letter that he has written. So he's talking about something else. So let's kind of walk through the statements that Paul makes. He starts by saying that these Christians are full of goodness. Now to help us understand what Paul's talking about, I would like to enlist Jesus into the conversation here. And I would like to look at a verse in Luke chapter 18, where a man came up to Jesus and he was a well-meaning man. He wasn't trying to trick Jesus or get Jesus to say the wrong thing. He, he had an honest question. We know this was a, a, an educated man. He was, a, he was a leader, and he approached Jesus with this question. And he said to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's an honest question. I mean, who doesn't think about that? Think about eternity and, and the afterlife and things like that. So he comes to Jesus with this question. Now, Jesus kind of pulls a Jesus thing on this guy in that Jesus hijacks the conversation. He takes it in a direction that this man never wanted it to go. Because Jesus responds to this man by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And this poor guy is scratching his head at this point. It's like, no, Jesus, I just said good teacher to be polite to you. I mean, that's a term of respect, right? Good teacher, here's my question. And Jesus camps on that word good. And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus is saying in that statement there is that goodness is resident in only one place. You can only find it in one place in all of creation. You you won't find any person who's truly good. You won't find any relationship that's that's purely good, you won't find anything out in in, in nature that's purely good because everything has been tainted by sin. Everything has been corrupted. There's nothing that hasn't suffered under the toxic effect of sin when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. Sin came into the world, and it's messed everything up since. And so Jesus can say to this guy that there's no goodness anywhere except, except, he says, in God alone. Now, can we agree to that? That that's true? That that's true about God and it's true about goodness? I mean, I don't think any of us would raise our hands and oh, say, no, I'm the exception. You know, I'm the, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm totally good. No, none of us could say that. So let's hold on to that thought for just one second. And let's look at one other verse in 1 John chapter 4, where John, writing a letter to one of the early churches, says this. He says, if anyone acknowledges... That Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. Now, John here is simply saying this. If someone is a Christian, okay, if someone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, that's how he's 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 defining a person who is a Christian. We might call that person a believer a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, whatever language you're comfortable with. But that's what John is talking about here. If someone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God takes up residence in them. Now, this isn't unique when John says this. No, this, this is, this is um, all over in Scripture, this whole concept of God coming to us you know, Jesus, at, at, you know, when we celebrate his birth at Christmas time, the Son of God comes to where we were. And there's verses about the Holy Spirit coming to us, and God is with us, and God never leaves us. For, this concept is all over in Scripture. And, and so John is saying here, it's reminding the Christians that we actually have God living inside of us if we are followers of Jesus Christ. So, if you put, do you take on the one hand the words of Jesus where he says, Nobody's good except God alone. And then you take the words of John over here that says, If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God lives in you. Then what are we filled with? This God who is the embodiment, the epitome of goodness resides inside of us. All of a sudden we're filled with what? Goodness. Of goodness. And that's why. Paul can say to the Christians in Rome, I'm convinced that you are full of goodness because he knows if they are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has taken up residence in them. They're full of God. That's why he can say that with such certainty. So if we can agree to that, could you reconsider the first box on the checklist? It, could you reconsider? Maybe, maybe you can check that. You're not checking it because you always do good things. That you've quit doing all the bad things, you've, you you've cleaned up your act. So to, no, you're doing it because God is resident in you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now Paul doesn't stop there; he goes on to say that the the church in Rome is made up of people that are filled with knowledge, filled with knowledge. Now how does how is Paul able to say that about these people? That he has never met. Again, I would like to defer to Jesus and look at an episode in John chapter nine, where Jesus is moving along, and and he comes upon this man, who had a birth defect in that he had never been able to see. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an illness, but he had never been able to see. He hadn't lost his sight. He never had his sight. And so he's an adult, and Jesus is having a conversation with him. And in the course of the conversation, Jesus heals the guy. Okay, he, Jesus gets to do that. He's the Son of God. And he chooses to heal this guy of his blindness. And it's a little ironic because, as John recounts this to us, this guy has to go wash his eyes off in this, in this pond of water, pool of water. And, and so when he washes his eyes then... His sight is restored, but Jesus is left. So he never gets to see Jesus. At this point, he he talks to him and converses. Jesus heals him, but this guy never gets to see Jesus. So anyways, this guy is healed, and John tells us he's in a small town, and it's causing quite a stir among the people who've known this guy for his whole life. He was a beggar. They always saw him begging. Same guy, and now he's walking around with his vision. He's interacting with people, and he's seeing and describing things and doing whatever a person does who just got their sight for the very first time. The religious leaders catch wind of this. And right away, they go on high alert because it happened to be the Jewish Sabbath day. And for them, there was no work that could happen on that day. And they considered healing a person as work. So they get, they get all bent out of shape about this. And they call this guy in. To talk to him. So imagine the scene here. You've got these, these powerful religious leaders, the, the, the most respected people in the community, highly educated. They're calling the shots. And you have this, this illiterate, uneducated guy who'd been blind for his entire life. And, and a couple hours later, he's dragged in before the religious leaders and they start this interrogation. And they're asking him, what happened? How did this happen? Are you sure you were blind? Maybe you're a different guy. And it it just kind of goes crazy like that. And finally, they, they say to this guy who was healed, they say, We know that this Jesus is a sinner. Never mind that he healed you, he's a sinner because he did this on the Sabbath and this is work. So this guy, Jesus, is no good. He's a sinner. Here's the response that comes from the man who was healed. It says to the leaders, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. You guys figure that out. He's a sinner? I, I don't know. That's, that's your deal. One thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. The thing that I know. Is that I'm not the same guy I was when I woke up this morning. The the thing I do know is that my life has been changed forever. At the hands of this guy named Jesus. Sinner? I don't know. You figure that out. I know that I can't ever be who I was before I met Jesus. He has changed me completely. That's the thing I know. And as we listen to the words that this guy says, who just met Jesus a few minutes ago, we find that he is filled with a certain level of knowledge about Jesus. Does he know everything? Of course not. Nobody does. But the knowledge that he had received through an encounter with Jesus filled him. And we see it. We hear it as he interacts with these religious leaders. And Paul can say to the Christians in Rome, you are filled with knowledge because he knows if they are a follower of Jesus Christ and God has taken up residence in them, the epitome of goodness there, that they have been filled with a certain level of knowledge. Now, is there room for growth? Absolutely. But Paul is saying that knowledge that you've got, Christian, it's filling you. It's filling you, and we're going to see that play out in the next statement that Paul makes here in his his letter. Would you say that you're filled with knowledge? How long have you been in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? A couple months, 20 years, more? No matter where you are, God has filled you with a certain level of knowledge. Sure, you know what you don't know, just like the blind man said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but what I do know is he changed me completely. You also have been filled with that knowledge. I hope that makes sense. The third thing that Paul says here is that these believers there in Rome are competent to instruct. Now, I know there's people in this room, when you read those words, you break out in hives. I'm not instructing anybody. I don't care what the Apostle Paul says. I'm not getting in front of people and talking. I'm not leading. I'm not teaching. That's not me. I don't have that gift. That's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not what he's talking about. Excuse me, Linda. There's a bottle of water down there. If I could have it, I would love that. Thank you very much. He's not talking about people that have the gift of teaching who can get up in front of large crowds and things like that. He's talking about something something very, very different. And I want to go back to John chapter 9, the same blind man being in- interrogated by the religious leaders and see how this plays out. Competent to instruct one another, the Apostle Paul says. The conversation between this man who'd been healed and the religious leaders goes on to the point where the religious leaders start trash-talking Jesus. And they're thinking of whatever they can say to kind of throw Jesus under the bus. And they say to this guy finally, listen, listen, this guy Jesus, we don't even know where he's from. We don't know his parents. We don't know his, his lineage, his pedigree. We know nothing about this guy. So forget about him. He's a nobody. He's a nothing. We don't even know the town he comes from. And this man who received his sight a couple hours earlier says to the leaders, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. See, the religious leader said, we don't even know where this guy's from, so we don't have to pay any attention to him. And the man who was just healed says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You guys say you don't know where he's from. I'll tell you where he's from. He's from God. He has to be. If he wasn't from God, he couldn't have done What he did to me. And their response in verse 34 to him was this. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? How dare you instruct us? That's what he's doing. The tables have turned. The the poor blind beggar is instructing the religious leaders. How dare you instruct us? And the next verse says, and they threw him out, and they threw him out. They couldn't take it any longer. You see, what's happened here is this man who'd had an encounter with Jesus was filled with a certain amount of knowledge, and that knowledge is now spilling out, and it happened to spill out onto these religious leaders who were interrogating him, and they didn't like it a bit. But he was letting that knowledge overflow out of his life, and he found that he was indeed competent to instruct these religious leaders, sharing his story, telling his experience, connecting some dots, and they had no argument for it. So in the end, they threw him out. So as you consider the, the checklist, the three, the three boxes, Is it possible that maybe we should be checking all three of those boxes? Is it possible that what the Apostle Paul is saying to this church in Rome that he'd never visited actually applies to us as well? You know, I think as we look at the checklist, we really have three possible responses to it. The one is we can just say, yeah, I I hear what you're saying, I hear what Paul is saying, but... I'm not that person. I know myself too well. And there's no way that I can say I'm full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct. So that's got to be somebody else who's way more spiritual than I am. And that's how a lot of people will respond to what the Apostle Paul says. Another option is we can look at the, the unchecked boxes on the checklist and say, I've got work to do. I better get busy. I better... Get rid of some stuff in my life that's keeping me from being full of goodness. I better work hard at filling myself with knowledge so I can check the second box. And once I can check one and two, then maybe I'd be able to say, yeah, I'm competent to instruct and check number three. And you see where that goes? It puts everything right back on you and on me. It's our responsibility. We got to clean it. We got to fix everything up. That's a second way of responding. And that's a, a natural way of responding. We're doers, right? We're responders. Something's wrong with me, I'll fix it. I'll work on it. That's another way we could respond to this. But the third way that we could respond to what Paul says there is actually to believe that Paul knows what he's talking about and that he's telling the truth about us. That we are indeed full of goodness because God, who is goodness, fills us. Not because I did good things, not because I don't sin as much as I did before. No, purely, simply, and only because of God's presence in our life. Yeah, I am full of goodness because I have the God of the universe resident in me. And I am filled with the exact knowledge that God wants me to have at this point in time. I haven't been a Christian very long. I don't know that much. But what I do know fills me. I was blind, but now I see. And that we are indeed, every one of us, competent to tell what we do know. What God has done for us. How our life is different because of an encounter with Jesus Christ. We're not responsible for what we don't know. Sinner? I don't know. You figure it out. But I do know this. I'm changed because of my encounter with Jesus. Now, if I've persuaded any of you to check off a few more boxes on that checklist, then I feel like I've been somewhat successful in my first job. But my second job is to help us answer the question then, okay, so what? So what? Okay, I agree, Paul. Yeah, I'll check all three boxes. I see, I see what you're saying there. What do we do with this knowledge that we have if we do align with what Paul is saying? Paul is going to help us answer that question in the final verse of this passage in verse 20. Uh, In between uh, verse 14 and 20, Paul has told about himself. He's told about his journeys. He's told about where he's been, some of the things he's been able to do. And he concludes that section by saying this in verse 20. Paul says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Paul says that he's had an ambition, that he's had a passion, that he's had something that has driven him. He's had a goal. And for Paul, that specific passion or ambition happened to be to go to places where nobody had ever heard of Jesus before and tell them about Jesus. Okay, that was Paul's. It was a God-given ambition. It was unique to the apostle Paul. And Paul is never saying that should be everybody's ambition. Now, there's some people that have that ambition, that have that passion, and they indeed go to those places where Christ is not known. There's a couple in the room today that are joining us who have that passion, that ambition. It's good to see them with us. But Paul isn't saying that's got to be everybody's passion and ambition. No, it's it's very unique the ambition that each one of us would have or, or should have. We can be a little intimidated by the Apostle Paul when he says what his ambition was, but hopefully we can maybe look at a different example that will help us not be so intimidated when we think about, well, what should my response be to the fact that I'm filled with goodness, full of knowledge and competent to instruct? So I have actually invited uh, one of our own uh, to come and join me here uh, for a moment and share a bit of her story. Now, um, Judy, would you, would you come forward? Judy Munger. Many of you know Judy. Many of you don't. Uh, but Judy and her husband Larry have been here in the church for quite some time. And I was visiting the life group a few weeks ago that Judy and Larry are members of. And in the course of their discussion that night, Judy shared something with the group that really spoke to me because it revealed her ambition, her passion. And I thought, well, I think it would be wonderful uh, if Judy could actually join me here for a moment and share a little bit about what that ambition is. So Judy, everybody doesn't know you, so if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself. Is this mic on here? Yeah, if you'd introduce yourself to us, please.
1: I'm Judy Munger, and I'm married to Larry Munger. who's back there. We've been married for 52 and a half years. <laughs> I don't like talking, so I'm kind of nervous. But, um, we have um, two children, married children, and five um, teenage grandchildren. My favorite grandson's here today, too.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so, uh, Judy, I know that your family members play a really big part in, in your passion and your ambition. Can you just share about that a little bit for us?
1: I, I really wanted to um, make sure they knew about our Lord and about um, scriptures, so, especially scriptures. When, when each of our kids and grandchildren were born, I gave them their own verse, and Two and a half years ago, in February, I decided I'm going to send them a verse every day. I was going to send it to my grandchildren, and then I decided I'll just send it to my kids and their spouses, too, and Larry. Um, so I did. I emailed um, my kids and their spouses and Larry, and then I text my grandchildren. I figured that way they might see it.
0: LAUGHTER
1: <laughs> Um, I going on? <laughs>
0: okay, so yeah. you decided so you were going to send the same verse, email to your husband, to your, your children and their spouses, and then text it to each of the kids. So, so what happened?
1: Well, I, it was February, so I sent all heart
0: verses. Okay.
1: and Which is really fun for me to do, because there's so many fun heart verses. But um, then um, I, didn't, I didn't hear from anybody, so I was sort of discouraged So so
0: no, no responses from anybody. No. So what did you do?
1: I thought, I guess that was a bad idea. (laughs) So I didn't send them out in March, but along about March 10th, I got an email from my son. He said, what happened to the verses? (laughs) So I figured, well, if just one listens, maybe I'll do it. So I've done it now for two and a half years. And, um, up to this date, I've heard from every one of them, and they really like getting the verses. All right. I was encouraged.
0: Okay. Thank you, Judy. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. So for me, Judy kind of brings it back down to earth here. Okay? You know, we got the Apostle Paul over here. You know, I'm going to where the gospel's never been preached. This is my passion, my ambition. And then we have our own Judy Munger, who says I have a passion for ten? Is it ten people? Is it ten children and grandchildren? I've got a passion for ten people in my family, and this is what I'm going to do every day. I'm going to get a verse. I don't know how she picks it. I'm sure God gives her some direction. And this same verse goes out every day, every day. She has an ambition for having the word of God constantly going out to each and every one of her family members. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that a whole lot more than I can relate to the Apostle Paul. And here's Judy, one of our own. She's not marching around Asia anywhere. She goes to her computer keyboard and her iPhone once a day to exercise her ambition. Now, I don't want to embarrass Judy, but I will say this. I am convinced. I am convinced that Judy is full of goodness. This didn't come from herself. This came from the good God who is within her that gave her this ambition, this passion. And I am convinced That she is full of knowledge. Does she know everything? No, she knows a lot more than me because she's got a lot more years than I do. But she's full of the knowledge that God has given her. And I'm convinced that she's competent to instruct. And the way that she has found to do that, among others, is to connect with each of her kids every single day with the word of God. Which you don't fail with the word of God. Okay, it's it's his it's his word. So I think the question for us today, as we end then, is what is our ambition? What is your ambition, child of God? Maybe it doesn't look quite as spiritual as the Apostle Paul or even our own Judy Munger, but that's okay. Because I'm convinced that since you are filled with goodness and Full of knowledge and competent to instruct. Whatever that ambition or passion is, it came from God. He's given it to you, and empowered by His Holy Spirit, you will be able to see it through. I'm convinced of that. Is your ambition your marriage? Do you want your marriage to be the best it can be, everything that God designed it to be? Is your passion your children? That you want to raise them up in a way that they'll be on solid footing in this world? That they'll have a relationship with God that will carry them through anything? Is that where your ambition or your passion might lie? What about developing your God-given talents? Those things that have been dormant in you. You know they're there, but you've never developed them. Maybe that's your passion to develop those talents. Or maybe your ambition is to make your unique contribution to a world that is desperate for what you have to offer. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, please don't forget what by God's grace is right with you. This is what God has poured into you. This is what Paul can say with such certainty because it's God's doing, not yours. Don't forget what is right with you as you move ahead in this passion that God has given you, let this truth be what propels you to fulfill your God-given ambition, whatever it might be. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we can be awfully hard on ourselves. And I thank you that the, the Apostle Paul took the time to share this truth with Christians everywhere. And to remind us of who we are. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you have done in us. And also to remind us what you want to do through us. That you certainly don't want us to be receptacles of all these blessings without letting them spill out to the people in our lives. And while most of us will never be an Apostle Paul, every one of us can be a Judy Munger. And I thank you for her example to us and her willingness to grab a microphone for the first time in her life and stand behind it and share her passion with us. Bless her for it, God. Speak to our hearts. Give us the courage to be receptive, to exercise whatever it is you have for us. And please don't let us forget, God, that you have indeed filled us with goodness when you filled us with yourself. That you have given us the body of knowledge you wanted us to have and that you're holding us responsible for. That we're indeed competent to let that impact the worlds that you have placed us in.